We are actually at the conclusion of a series that we have been going through over the last few weeks uh, entitled Knowing the Will of God. And in uh, this series, we've been asking a question uh, that I believe is uh, something that many Christians all throughout uh, different seasons of life have been asking. And that question is, how can I know God's will for my life? And this can apply in many different areas. It can, it can apply uh, in our uh, family life, uh, how do I know God's will for my marriage? When we go through those difficult times, when uh, we're struggling, when pressures are weighing in on us, how do I know uh, how to be the husband God has called me to be? What is his will for me as the leader of my home? Uh, how do I know what God's will for me to, uh, is as, as a wife, as a godly wife, how to support my husband and follow him and, and to help train up our children? How do we know God's will for our, our jobs? You know, uh, there are pressures, especially in today's society, uh, pressures to act certain ways, to compromise and to kind of fudge our values and our morals. How do we know God's will and how can we chart that path? And one of the things that we said at the very outset of this entire series is, is that knowing God's will is not about a certain amount of knowledge that you're supposed to have. Uh, there are some situations that you're going to come across in life where you are going to scour God's Word trying to find the answer, and you're going to walk away still scratching your head. Because our world, and life in general, is complicated, and there are some things that you are going to want to know about God's will for your life that you're not going to readily find in God's Word. And, and that's not to, uh, to malign or to downplay God's Word. God's Word is infallible. God's Word is inerrant. But here's the thing. Uh, God wants you to listen, to humbly depend on him. Even when you come to God's word, I can't understand it by myself. I can't understand. I can get all different degrees from every seminary on, on earth, but unless God is guiding me and directing me when I approach God's word, I'm still not going to understand it. So there is an element of to know God's will, you have to be in an abiding relationship with him. There are people who could quote God's word forwards and backwards in the original languages, and they still don't know God. And they still don't know God's will for their life. And so if you want to know God's will, what you need to understand, first, first and foremost, the foundational uh, place where we all need to start when it comes to understanding God's will in your life, is to understand it's about a relationship. It's about knowing God. He wants you to know his heart, and he wants you to open your heart to him so that you, uh, you recognize his voice. You understand who he is and what kind of God he is and what he wants for you. And so that's where we began this whole series is understanding it's all about relationship. And we went from there to understand that just like any good relationship, there needs to be communication. You can't have a good communication with, or I'm sorry, you can't have a good relationship with your spouse unless you are communicating with them. Imagine if you only spoke to your spouse once a week. If you only, you, uh, you go throughout your life, you go throughout your week doing your own thing, uh, living your own life, and you only say a few words to them, you only interact with them once a week. Now, would you have a very strong marriage at that point? Would you really know your spouse? And I hope the obvious answer would be no, of course you wouldn't. But yet, that's exactly what sometimes uh, we as Christians do. We only interact with God. We only communicate with God once a week. We come to church on Sunday. We sing songs uh, and praise to him. We open up his word and hear uh, what he has to say. 
But if that's the only time we spend with God, then we're really not communicating with him. And so we saw that in any good relationship, you need to be spending time with God, not just once a week, but throughout the week. You need to be talking to him in prayer. You need to be listening to him. You need to be loving his word and getting into his word so you can hear from him. Not only that, but in any good relationship, it, it is founded on and it is only as strong as how much you trust that other person. If you don't trust the person you're in a relationship with, it's going to be a very shallow relationship. And we saw uh, throughout this series that, that we need to trust in who God is because there are going to be times, and hear me very clearly, there are going to be times in life where you are not going to understand what God is doing in your life. There are going to be times where you don't understand why in the world he has allowed certain difficulties and hardships into your life. There are going to be times where everything in you and everything around you is telling you that God has forgotten you, that God has forsaken you, that you've stepped too far outside of God's will, and you can't trust him to get you through what you're currently going through. But we need to understand, even when you can't see God's hand moving in your life and you don't understand what his plan is, you can still trust in who he is. That's why that relationship is so foundational. You have to make sure that you understand and you trust in who God is, even when you don't understand what God is doing. And so, again, it all goes back to relationships. So, here we come to the end of this series, and I, as I was racking my brain and really wrestling with God, with how do we kind of land this plan? How do we come to the end of understanding this relational dynamic of, of knowing God's will? And, and as I prayed through this and as I, I thought through this, you know, the thing that kept I couldn't get away from that kept wrestling within my heart is that there are times that any relationship, the best relationships, will still get off track every once in a while. The best marriages will have seasons and times in that marriage where where you are are, are have made a mistake, you've said something you shouldn't have said, you've done something you shouldn't have done. Maybe just through the seasons of life raising kids, you begin to find yourself going further and further apart, and you get uh, separated in, in, in some relational way uh, from the one that, that you care about, that you love. And that's true of us in our relationship with God as well. The best Christian, best followers of Christ will still have times in the relationship with God where they get off track. It's going to happen. So the question that I want us to wrestle with today is when we find ourselves outside of the will of God, but we need to find how do we get back in the will of God, what does that look like? How do we do that? How do you get back in the will of God once you've gotten out? How do you restore that relationship? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a, a book of the excuse me a book of the Bible that is I, I love lots of, of, of various uh, books of the Bible, but this one has a special place in my heart because this book of the Bible um, I, I kind of stumbled in at a a time in my life where I was really struggling with my relationship with God. My story, and many of you have heard it before, I grew up in the church, and I had heard all the Bible stories. I had gone through Awanas. I went to all kinds of vacation Bible schools. I knew church. But there came a time in my life where I'd already prayed to receive Christ, but I still just felt like I wasn't living the life God wanted me to live. I knew all the right answers. I could. I, I, I knew what I was supposed to look like as a Christian and how I was supposed to act. There just was something missing in my relationship with God. And there were times where I just, I wasn't quite sure that I was actually saved. Was I just going through the motions? Was I, was I just uh, 
playing the Christian game? Or did I truly know God? And I came to the book uh, of 1 John. That's where we're going to be spending our time. So if you want to turn there, uh, you can go ahead and do that. But the, the, the letter of 1 John, John wrote, uh, he wrote the Gospel of John, but he also wrote uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And the letter to uh, the Christians there in 1 John is just a powerful book of the Bible. If you are a Christian who has struggled with whether or not you're saved, or if you know of someone who's wrestling with, am I saved, am I not saved, how do I know if I'm saved, what am I supposed to do, what is this supposed to look like, I would just recommend you read this book. And read it. It's a short little book, but just go through it. And go through it time and time again, because there is such encouragement in this small little letter. But we're going to come to this uh, book uh, of 1 John. We're going to be looking at the first chapter. And here, John is writing to a group of Christians who were struggling with many of the same doubts that we've been talking about in this series. And he is going to write to them with encouragement of, here's what you need to know. Here's the core of the Christian life, the core of the gospel. This is Jesus' beloved disciple, the one that when he was hanging on the cross, he looked uh, to his mother and he said, this is now your son. And he looked at John and said, this is now your mother. And he said, I'm entrusting you. As I now depart from this world, I'm entrusting you with my greatest possession, my own mother. And as this disciple, this beloved disciple of Jesus, he thinks upon his time with Jesus. He thinks about what it means to be a follower of Christ. He writes this letter. And so I just want to uh, lead you through this passage of 1 John, the first few verses of the first chapter. And in it, we're going to see what do we need to do when our relationship with Jesus has gotten off track, off track and how do we get back in the center of God's will. So we see in 1 John uh, chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5, it says this, This is the message which we have heard from him. And declare to you. Now, pause there for just a moment. I'm going to quiz you. All right? Now, you don't have to answer out loud. But I want you to just think in your heart, because this is something that I've wrestled with quite a bit uh, as, as uh, God laid this message on my, my heart. This, he said, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. So, John is thinking, okay, this is the core message that we've heard from Jesus. When, I th- when John thinks about, okay, I've spent three, three and a half years with Jesus, Jesus taught us a lot of great, wonderful things, and here I'm talking to this group of Christians, and here is the message that Jesus wants me to share with you, the core of Jesus' life and message. What would you think it would be? Now, me personally, I would think, okay, the core of Jesus' message is God is love. The God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son so that whoever may believe in him shall not perish that eternal life. That seems like the core message. If I had to summarize Jesus, his life, ministry, message to his disciples, that's what I would say. I want you to hear real carefully what John says. He says, this is the message which we have heard from him and we declare to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Now, pause there for just a moment and think about that. Wait a second. So instead of this is the message which we've heard from him that God is love, John says God is light? Now, what in the world is that supposed to mean to us? Now, we could sit here and we could think, okay, what does light mean? What does light do? And we could think of all of our 21st century ideas of, you know, lights and how they they illuminate things and how they, they... 
give us a sense of safety. But uh, before we start reading into what we faith light is, I want us to pause for a second and put ourselves in the shoes of the original audience that John was writing to. What did light mean? To them. Now, as many of you know, uh, John was writing to uh, the church at that time, which was predominantly Jewish. They were beginning to be more Gentiles. Uh, but let's think through, biblically speaking, what does it mean for God to be light? Now, when it, think through your mind, and you can answer out loud for this, but I want to hear your thoughts. When is the first time that we ever really hear about God and light kind of in the same context? Any ideas? Any thoughts? I think of Genesis 1. In the beginning was God, and then he spoke, and there was light. Okay, so what does that tell us about God? Well, it talks about how God created light, separates it from darkness. All right, let's go a little further. When's another time that we think about God and light? Another big time, other than Genesis 1, that we see God with light, is an exodus. When God is literally pictured, his Shekinah glory is this pillar of fire, this pillar of light that leads Israel out of Egypt. It protects them from the Egyptians that are pursuing them. It leads them through uh, the wilderness uh, by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And so again, we see it over the tabernacle where the Shekinah glory of God is, is this fiery pillar of uh, of uh, a fire just billowing around the tabernacle. We see it when Solomon dedicates the temple there in Israel, and, and God is pictured as this consuming fire. And then we see it in the Gospel of John itself, in the New Testament. I'm going to read you a verse real quick from the Gospel of John, and here's what it says. It says, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. And so it's talking about Jesus being the light of God. If you want to know what it means about God being light, you look at Jesus. He stepped into this world as the light of God, and it says he enlightens every man. That word enlighten means photos. That was the Greek word photos. It means uh, that's where we get our, uh, our word for uh, photography. It's the, the using of light to capture an image. And so the idea is that there is this God who his glory, his Shekinah glory, his his light that he has shed into the world enlightened and illuminates every man. What does it mean to illuminate? It means that we can finally understand the things that are hidden are now brought into the light and we can understand them. Now, stick with me for just a moment. Here's what I want us to grasp here, and this is going to be important as we move forward. That when we think of God is light and Jesus is the greatest representation of, of God's light coming into this world, we need to understand that there is a, a part of God that reveals things that were once hidden in our life and in the world around us. When John is reflecting about, okay, what is the message of Jesus? Yes, God is love, and we talk about that quite a bit. More than anything else, God is light because he reveals what we hide, we have, we have uh, hidden within our own life. He reveals what was hidden with God. He opens our eyes so that we can understand who we are, who God is, and what God's will is. God is like he reveals things that were once obscure. So let's bring this home a little bit more and kind of uh, unpackage this before we move on. We've been saying over the last few weeks that knowing the will of God is all about relationship. 
And what John is getting at here, if we are to understand kind of uh, the, the, the core of what John is getting at, in our relationship, we need honesty. Our honesty with God. We need all the things that we don't want to talk about with God because we're too ashamed, we're too guilt-ridden. The things that we're hiding from one another, we don't want to share with one another, we don't want to confess to someone else because those are the things that we, we're too embarrassed about. We hold in, we hide them in the dark recesses of our heart. What John is saying is God is light and he reveals all things. If you want to get back into God's will after you've strayed away, after you've gotten out of uh, God's will, the, the first step you need to do is begin being honest. Being honest with God. Being honest with yourself. Maybe even being honest with someone else. I remember a story uh, that I had heard about... Um, a youth pastor, and as uh, uh, the youth pastor was uh, driving around town one evening, he saw a car that he recognized as uh, um, uh, the youth uh, in his youth group. And as he uh, came by, he saw that there was a, a teenage uh, boy and a teenage girl who uh, were were kissing in the car and all, all that sort of stuff and, and acting inappropriately. And afterwards, uh, later that Sunday, he saw both of them and he said, uh, listen, I, I know what was going on that, that night, I, I saw what was going on, and they began uh, freaking out and, and worrying, and, and uh, they were afraid that their parents would find out, afraid that uh, their, their friends would find out, and uh, he said, listen, listen I, I'm not telling anyone, but you need to understand that God knows what you did. And the interesting thing that was uh, relayed in this story is that the teenagers were like, oh, okay. They didn't care, they, they didn't care that God knew what had happened. They were worried about everyone else. And isn't that true of each and every one of us? We are so worried about what other people think. But many of us don't even care that God sees every word and every action that we do. Every thought. Everything that is stirring in our hearts. And oftentimes we don't worry. We don't even bat an eye that God sees all that ugliness. But here's the beautiful thing. He still loves us. All those things are revealed to him, and yet he still loves us with an everlasting love. See, God is the ultimate safe place. Most of us, I don't want to, listen, just to be honest, I don't want to tell you all the things that I've messed up and I failed at. Because I don't, I, I don't want to air out all my dirty laundry. Because so often when we tell other people the things that we've messed up and the things that we've failed at, we're afraid they're going to judge us. We're afraid they're going to condemn us. We're afraid they're going to spread the, that, that uh, information and tell, uh, tell everyone of our, uh, our mistakes and our failures. So often we're afraid and we feel like the church is not a safe place to share those things. But even if you feel that way, and I understand that, please understand this and hear me very carefully. God is a safe place. God is the one that you can be open and honest and let his light shine into those dark recesses and let him know all the things that you have done. And I hope that if, even if there are other churches where you've been hurt and where you have been uh, judged and condemned, my prayer, my hope is that this church will be a safe place. My hope and my prayer is that we would truly be the family of God where I can share with you whatever I'm struggling with, whatever I'm hurting, and I can know that it's a safe place. That we can let all those things that grow in the dark parts of our life 
out into the open so that God's light can bring healing and restoration. I want you to notice what else it says here in God's Word. Notice what it says in verse 6. He goes on and he fleshes out this idea of bringing things out into the light and exposing them to God and exposing them to our brothers and sisters in Christ and how that brings healing. Notice what he says here. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So here he's given the example of if we are hiding things in the dark, if we are saying, you know what, I, I, I have fellowship with God, I'm living with God, I'm following God, but there are things in our life that we're holding on to that we don't want to admit to ourselves, that we don't want to admit to God, and we certainly don't want to admit to uh, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, if that's the case, then you are lying. And you have no fellowship with God. Now, we need to pause here for a moment. Because sometimes people will come to this passage and we'll, we will read this and walk away uh, with a false understanding of what's being taught here and a false sense of guilt that we, we carry along with us. What John is not saying is that if you sin or if you stumble in some way, then that's it. Your relationship with God is messed up and then now you have to be saved again. As strange as that may seem to some of us, there are some Christians and there are whole denominations that teach that you can lose your salvation. They teach that if you stumble into a sin, and some of them will will highlight certain sins and say, well, it's not every sin that you can lose your salvation, but there's this sin and there's that sin. Or some of them do say that it's any sin, that every day you need to wake up and you need to pray afresh for salvation because you may have stumbled in some way and lost your salvation. But if that's you, if you have uh, been exposed to that kind of teaching, let me be very clear. You cannot lose your salvation. It's not as though uh, your salvation is like your keys and you've misplaced it or if you, if you make a mistake that, oops, okay, well, I've messed up and now I need to get saved all over again. If that is our understanding of the grace of God, then we have a very shallow understanding of God's grace. When God saved you, when Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid for them past, present, and future sins. All sins that you would ever commit were washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's not how faithful you are to God, it's how faithful he is to you. And so we don't need to come to this verse and verses like this and think, okay, well, well, I need to be really careful and I need to basically uh, walk every day in fear that I'm going to lose my salvation with every little mistake I make. That's not what John is getting at. In fact, the words that he uses here is not uh, when, when he says uh, uh, walk in darkness. This is an idea of a continual, habitual pattern. So what he's saying is, there are some people who say that I'm constantly walking in fellowship with God, I have a relationship with God, but in the same, uh, in the same vein, in that same person, they are constantly ongoing, day by day, living in sin. This is an idea of a person who it's not they mess up here and there, or maybe that they have a sin that constantly keeps tripping them up. It's someone who is comfortable with their sin. It's someone who has embraced their sin. Their sin is a part of their life. They're holding on to it and they don't want to let go. And so we need to understand this is not someone who just, you know, lapses of judgment or they're, they're wrestling and fighting against their sin. This is someone who's embraced it. I, uh, I was talking to a, uh, an individual at the last church that I was serving and he was constantly just wrapped with guilt and with burden 
over certain areas of his life. He, he was an individual who had uh, served some time in prison, and he had, had come out, and uh, he was trying to get his life straight and get his life right. And, and, but he was still struggling with a lot of the habits that he had built throughout his life. And he'd come to me and say, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm dealing with this, this, and this, and I, I, I can't stand that I keep falling back into these old ways of life. And oftentimes I keep falling into these things and falling into these things, and I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with me? And I feel like I, I, I can't truly be a Christian if I'm still struggling with this. And as I sat there and I listened to a struggle, I, I just pointed out to him, listen, even though you're still struggling with that, the fact that you hate that you're still doing that is progress. There used to be a time when he would do those things and not bat an eye, not worry about it one iota. But now he can't live with that sin because the Holy Spirit living in him was constantly convicting him, saying, no, that's not right. You need to address that. Listen, you may be struggling with a sin or a temptation, something that is constantly reoccurring in your life that's tripping you up, but the fact that you can't live at peace with that sin is good news. I share with that individual, listen, that that same struggle that you're facing is the same struggle that the Apostle Paul faced when he said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I keep on doing. And so if the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, struggled in that way, then we're in good company. And so what John is not talking about are those people who are struggling in that way. He's talking about those who they don't want the light of God shining on those particular idols in areas of sin in their life. They want to hold on to it, hide it, and guard it away from the light of God. But listen, no good thing grows in the dark. And so John is saying, listen, if you want to get in the will of God, if you want to experience the will of God in your life, if you've gotten away but you're trying to get back in, the first step you need to do is begin being honest with yourself and with God. And that's what he goes on to say in, the, say in the next verse here. He says, but if we walk, again, that's that continual pattern, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I love what John does here because up until this point, he's been talking about you and your relationship with God. But then he says, listen, if you walk in the light, not only are you having fellowship with God because that light purifies us and it, it opens all of those things that we've been hiding out in the open, not only does that fix your relationship with God, but it fixes your relationship with one another. Listen, if I have a broken relationship with God because of the things that I'm hiding in my life, not only is that going to affect me and God, but it's going to affect me and my wife. It's going to affect me and my kids. It's going to affect me and my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. When we are hiding things and when there are lies in our life that we are telling ourselves or telling other people, it is going to bleed out in some way into the lives of other people, into other relationships. And what John is saying here is, don't sit there and walk in darkness. If there are areas in your life that are you are hiding, that you are covering up, that you don't want to expose, that's a problem. And the best remedy is for you to drag those things out into the light of God and allow his light to bring healing and restoration. You know, one thing that I found that was just so interesting is that there are now studies being done that light actually does bring healing to our bodies. It's really interesting. I knew that that was the case uh, when it comes to plants. You know, we hear about photosynthesis 
photosynthesis and how uh, plants they, they absorb the light of the sun and it helps them grow and stay healthy and, and, and uh, thrive throughout life. But scientists are beginning to see that that's actually the case with us as people as well. That there are certain lights and certain wavelengths that you can shine on the skin or shine in people's eyes or, or different things like that that can actually bring healing. There have been, there have been studies done uh, as it relates to dementia. There have been studies as it relates uh, done to acne and things of that nature where they shine certain lights on a person or, uh, or uh, toward the person or immerse themselves in various lights and it helps heal the body. And that's just a small picture of what John is getting at here. That God doesn't want you to hide things and live in that lie, live in that darkness. But it's so scary, isn't it, when we think about the idea of actually confessing some of those things that we've been struggling with. It's scary when we open ourselves up and we're vulnerable in that way. But often that's the enemy trying to keep us in the dark, trying to keep us hidden. And as long as he can keep us in the dark, he has us exactly where he wants us. There are some of you sitting here today, and you're wrestling in your skin, even as I talk, because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, saying, this is what you need to hear. You need to confess that thing. I've been talking to you and talking to you and talking to you about that you've been hiding it. And you need to confess it, yes, first and foremost to God, but maybe there's someone, uh, a brother or sister in Christ, that you need to reach out to and say, you know, I need to talk to you about something that I've been struggling with, that I've been wrestling with. If that's you, don't put it off one more minute, one more day. Receive the healing that God so desperately wants you to experience. I want you to notice uh, what else it says here in uh, verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, again, I can't think of a single individual who would say, I have no sin. I'm sinless, I've never sinned, or I, but I don't have any sin in me right now. I, I've never met an individual, I'm sure they're out there somewhere, but I've never met an individual that would say what John is saying here. So what do we make of that? Well, I, I would argue that there's probably more of what John has in mind is someone who is, in their heart, they're lying to themselves. They're lying to themselves about how uh, uh, how close they are in their relationship with God. Have you ever seen individuals where they put off this air of they are super spiritual and super holy, and they, they, you know their prayers are they get to God maybe a little bit faster than everyone else's. They know Scripture just a little bit better than everyone else. They, they you know their family they do uh, family devotions every night. They all sit around. The kids don't squirm. They don't fuss. They don't argue, and they. They open up their Bibles and they read through whole chapters of the Bible and their kids have the, just the greatest insights and, and the wife just so easily submits to the husband. The husband's just a great pillar in the, in the family and in the faith. They just seem like everything goes right. I think that's kind of what John is getting at here. Because there have been times in my life where I've looked at him, times where I'm sure I've done this myself where I want people to see me in a certain way, or I've seen people who want to appear in a certain way, like they have it all figured out. And everything is great, and there's no hurt, there's no problem. And sometimes we see it when we come into church and we say, hey, how are you doing? Great. When deep inside your heart you know that everything's falling apart. But we don't want anyone to know that. 
We were just fighting, fucking, sometimes even cussing in the car on the way to church. But as soon as we get to church, it's all smile and everything's good and hunky-dory. And then we get back in the car to go home and we start the fussing and fighting again. And we try to give this appearance as though we as Christians don't have any faults. And I'm just going to step out and, and just say this. But I think one of the greatest disservices that we do as the Christian church as it relates to reaching the world around us is by giving the appearance that we're all okay. I think if the world around us saw that, you know what, they have problems like the rest of us, but you know what, they still love God and they're trying and I see that they truly believe what they believe and God is doing a work in them, but they're human just like me. So often I've spoken with people who feel like they're not good enough to be a Christian. Well, I would love to, to be a Christian, but, you know, you don't know my life, Pastor. You don't know what I'm struggling with and what, what the passion I've come from. Pastor, I would love to serve in that area of ministry, but, you know, I, I'm just not good enough for that. I, you know, you maybe are, are, are at another spiritual level, but I, I can never do that. Listen, we are just sinners saved by grace. And as a pastor, I'm no better than any other person, any other Christian. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I need God's grace each and every day. I don't have it all figured out. But I know the one who has the answers, and I'm following him as best as I can each and every day. And when we are open and honest with ourselves, and we're open and honest with God, and we're open and honest with one another, there's something liberating with that. There's something that's healing with that. And that's what we need more than anything else often in the, in the church. Honesty. Letting all the darkness out into the light for God to deal with it as only he can. Notice what else he says. He, he talks about claiming that there's no sin. He says, if we confess, that's a scary word, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You know, that word confess is such a scary word. There are only a handful of times in my life where I have truly felt like I could trust a certain individual where I have uh, open up my life in, in every area and say, you can speak into my life, you can you can uh, know all the, the things I struggle with and all the things I wrestle with. And, and it's hard sometimes finding someone like that. But listen, I want to encourage you. If you don't have someone that you can talk to, you need. And I hope you, if you're married, I hope you can talk to your spouse. I hope that you can share things with him or her. Listen, more than that, there are some things, but guys, you need another guy, another brother in Christ that you can talk to. Ladies, you need another sister in Christ that you can lean on, that you can be open and honest with. You know, it's amazing. uh, So uh, much here lately, I've seen pastors and evangelists and church leaders and missionaries who have fallen from the faith. People who were... uh, speaking at conferences and writing books and ministering to thousands upon thousands of people. But somewhere along the way, they stopped being approachable. They stopped 
uh, having people in their life that could speak into them and say, hey, listen, I, I think you're going a little too far over here, or I think you're, you're kind of getting into some things you need to be careful of. They, they, there came a place where, where they no longer had someone that they could uh, lean on. And because of that, they fell. And when they fell, others fell along with them. Listen, you may not believe or see that there are people who are looking and watching you. You may not see or believe that there are people who are following your life and following your guidance, but I promise you there are. There are kids, your children, your grandchildren who are watching you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, people, co-workers, neighbors who are watching you. Listen, if you were to fall, it's going to hurt and devastate other people. And the best thing that we can do to keep ourselves in the center of God's will or to get as quickly as we can back into the center of God's will is have brothers and sisters in Christ that we can talk to, that we can lean on, that we can pray with and support and love. So do you have that? Do you have someone that you can open your heart to, that you can share all the things that are weighing you down? If not, you need to prayerfully begin searching right here, right now. Because otherwise, the enemy's going to eat your lunch. He's going to break your marriage. He's going to break your family. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to worm his way into our church family, into our communities, and wreak devastation as only he can. He wants us to be alone and isolated. You know, I was, uh, was, I love watching the, the, uh, Nature Channel and, uh, National Geographic and stuff like that. It's always amazing. In fact, when I was, uh, growing up, I wanted to, uh, be a marine biologist and I wanted to, to uh, work with animals and, and things like that. But, uh, I, as I was watching one episode of, uh, National Geographic and it was talking about in the African plains, there are these, uh, they're kind of like, uh, uh, gazelle type animals. They, they don't really have a whole lot of defenses, but they're safe uh, in their herds, in their in, in groups. But when packs of lions or hyenas would come their way, what their tactic all the time is is spreading out the herd, getting them isolated, getting them uh, where they are alone. And so you'll see them all the time as, as they try to find that one uh, member of the herd who will get away from everyone else, so they can isolate. They can surround, and they can devour. And just like that's the case in the animal kingdom, that is the case in our world today. Never in my life have I seen our nation more divided than it is now. Never in my life have I seen people, friends, family members, who are at each other's throats and fighting amongst themselves. And if we're not careful, that's exactly what will happen to us in the body of Christ. That's exactly what will happen to us in our families, in our homes. Don't let that happen. Whatever it is that's hiding in your life, bring it out. I get it. I get it. That's a scary prospect. But like I said before, it's also the most liberating one as well. Imagine with me for just a moment what it would be like if we didn't hide anything. Imagine just for a moment what it would be like just in your life if you didn't have any secrets. If there was nothing that you were hiding from other people, if there were no things that I hope that no one finds out about this or this, 
Imagine how freeing that can be. Imagine if we had a, a body of believers here, and I, you know, not any other church, but let's not worry about them, but just here at Highland Park. Imagine what it would be like if you knew with every fiber of your being, listen, I could come here and I could go to any person here at this church and I could tell them what I'm struggling with. I could tell them the burdens that life has placed upon my shoulders and I would know that they're going to pray for me, truly pray for me. Not just say they're going to pray for me, but they're going to pray for me. They're going to support me. They're going to check up on me. They're going to walk with me through this season of life. Thankfully, I think that uh, here at Highland Park, I think we're there. All right, if we're not there, I think we're at least getting so close to being there. I think that this is a loving group of people. This is the people who pray, but listen... Just because we're there today doesn't mean that tomorrow that the enemy can't start weaseling his way in and begin dividing us. It's not something that we can just sit back and, and relax and think that it's always going to be this way. As soon as we let our guards down, that's when disaster strikes. And you can't dictate what anyone else does, but as far as your part, as far as what you do, are you going to be the person who continues to bring everything out to the light? Are you going to be the person that, yes, you're going to step outside of God's will just like I am, just like we all are at times, but are you going to be the person that as soon as you realize that you've stepped outside, you are going to do everything you can to get back into God's will, and it starts with being honest. It starts with reconciling that relationship with God and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If we were to do that, there's nothing that can stop us in this world. If we stay close to God, and stay close to one another. So as we wrap this series up about knowing God's will, again, if I could just press upon your hearts and your minds just this one thing, it's that God's will is about relationship. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be hardships. Man, God is faithful. And yeah, we mess up. But as soon as we mess up, all we need to do is turn around. There he is with arms wide open, ready to accept us again. Isn't that good? And so in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. Again, we're observing COVID protocols. So, you know, if you want to come uh, to the altar, that, that's fine. You, you can pray. If you want to pray at your seat, it's not about where you are. It's about who you're focused on in this moment. Maybe there's something in your life that God has been talking to you about, and he has you here today because he wanted you to hear this message. Or maybe just something within this message that he wanted you to hear so that you could begin that path back to him. Maybe you realize that there is some relationship here at church or in your home life that you need to begin reconciling. That you need to confess some things to someone else. You need to accept some responsibility of what you've done to contribute to the problem in that relationship. You need to bring to light something that you've been hiding. Whatever it may be, in this moment, this is where we truly worship as we step out in obedience to God. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray for each and every one of us. And then we're just going to have a time in that prayer where you're going to have an opportunity to talk to God. I'll leave a little time for, for uh, silence for you to do any business that God's laying on your heart. And then I'll close the prayer. And then we'll be dismissed. But that's not where our worship stops. We take what we've heard here and we go out into the world and share the light of God with a dark and dying world. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we approach our Heavenly Father. Wonderful Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, for your love and your mercy. 
Father, as we've, through this series, as we've talked about your will and we, we've explored what it means to, to know your will and more importantly to live your will out, Lord, I pray that you have pressed upon each and every one of our hearts that it's all about you, about drawing close to you, knowing you. And Father, I pray that as we've looked in your word here, Lord, that your light shines into our darkest parts of our hearts. And Lord, it doesn't deter you. Lord, it doesn't cause your love to, to hesitate. Lord, you, you knew it all. Lord, you've seen it all. And you still love us enough to send your son. So Father, thank you. And Lord, in this moment, Lord, as we all come before you, Lord, I just pray that you would hear each and every prayer. And Lord, that you would, as your word says here, be faithful to forgive us for all sins and wash us clean by the blood of your Son. So Lord, now we just call to you. And Lord, just pray that you would do a great work. Father, again, we just thank you. Lord, that we can call on you anytime. And Lord, we don't have to come with fancy prayers, but just with a willing and humble heart. So Lord, now as we go out into the world, Lord, as we seek to accomplish your will, Lord, empower us to be your hands and feet wherever we may go. And we ask this in your son's wonderful and holy name. Amen.